0: Um, So anyone who's um, visiting or or new to us, this is the last installment of a series we've been doing for a month or so in Revelation, and we've kind of cantered through it, and we're now at the end. Um, And I don't feel I'm going to do justice to these amazing words, um, partly because we haven't got enough time, we could be here all day and and still not get enough out of them, but um, I hope by the end we'll have grasped um, some of the central things. I want to start by telling you a story about which is pretty embarrassing for me Uh, and it was a week or two ago because it was my birthday um, and my wife Beth had kindly bought me some lovely shoes which I'm sporting today Um, and uh, I thought oh actually I haven't bought myself any clothes for a little while so I'll treat myself to a little birthday present and and maybe buy some uh, trousers or something. And lo and behold on Facebook where I don't spend that much time there was an advert which amazingly was promising me very, very cheap clothes from crew, crew clothing. Um, and I thought, well, there we go. And I clicked on the link and I, and I thought, wow, I can get kind of loads of clothes for not very much money. This is amazing. And I, 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 I signed away 64 pounds and 10p um, for these clothes. And as I, as I pressed check out, I then got that sinking feeling in my stomach, thought, oh, this isn't real. Um, I have been scammed, Uh, and it was really quite embarrassing. I then spent a long time on the phone to uh, Halifax, asking them to try and get my money back, and we're still in that process. Um, I share that story with you because it illustrates something of the idea that uh, what we desire, what we long for, shapes our actions. So in that instance, my desire for some new and cheap clothes shaped my actions such that it made me do stupid things. Um, I've literally I've taught lessons on how not to be scammed on the internet and then I was scammed and it's a reminder that we are shaped by what we long for I long for some cheap clothes uh, and it made me stupid you get hungry and it shapes your actions you buy things from the supermarket that you wouldn't normally buy what is true in the short term is true also over the whole of our lives so we are shaped by what we long for, advertisers know this of course, um, here's, some, here's some stuff that I was promised, I looked through advert campaigns from 2023 this is a genuine list of stuff that I was promised from advertisers, this is their whole thing um, I, was exp- I was promised extraordinary experiences, a chance to express myself and be me a chance to be a goddess um, a chance to live my best life I was promised never to miss out <laughs> um, I was promised home I was promised security, a happy family, satisfaction, and it was strongly suggested that I could become as irresistible to the opposite sex. Um, this is, advertisers know that we're shaped by what we long for. And we, we long for those big things, for home, for security, for love, for family, for satisfaction, for the chance to be a goddess. And the end of the book of Revelation, which is the very last few words of the Bible, Show us, I think, what Christians are to long for the most. And as we look at this, if you're like me, you may well think, I'm not sure that is what I long for most. And that might be quite unsettling. I found it quite unsettling. But my aim this morning is not to unsettle us so much as I would love it if at the end of this service we sing together and there is a genuine, united sense of Yes, I, that is what I long for. Because I think if, if, if we could grasp what it is that we're to be longing for, truly, then I think we would begin to live quite radically different lives. It will shape our lives if we're longing for the right thing. Do, would you like to know what we should be longing for? <laughs> yes. It was there in our reading from chapter 22 um, and verse 17, where it said, the spirit and the bride say, come and let those who hear say, come. And then verse 20, he who testifies to these things, that's Jesus, says, yes, I'm coming soon. And the writer says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That is the cry of the, of the Bible. It's the cry of the end of the Bible. And so I think it is saying to us that the longing of our heart for our entire lives should be for the return of Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. That is the desire that, if we grasped it, would shape our lives, would really shape our lives. And actually, those piffling things, those other things, as important as they might feel to us, and as significant as some of them are, actually, those other things would just recede into the rear-view mirror if we grasped this one thing, and if that began to shape our lives. So, if, if IKEA captures my heart by saying that I can have the wonderful everyday, in a kind of gentle Scandinavian accent, that means that I will go and spend some money in IKEA this afternoon. I'm not going to do that. If Burberry captures my heart, by promising me that I can be a goddess, that was who it was, it means I might smell better for a few minutes when I put on their perfume. Perfume. I my perfume. But if this desire captures my heart, it actually changes the whole course of my life and eternal destiny. This is big stuff. So 22 verse 17, the spirit and the bride say come, come Lord Jesus. The bride there, the bride is us. It's the church. So why is this cry for Jesus return? Why is that the heart cry of the church, of us? Because when Jesus returns, he will deal conclusively with evil, And he will bring in the new creation. Why would we want that? I hope by the end of this sermon, you're going to know why you'd want that. So what I want to do for the next 10 or 15 minutes is to show you from Revelation 21 and 22 what the new creation that Jesus will bring will be like. Such that by the end you'll be saying, come Lord Jesus, I want it now. I want to be there now. And your heart's longing will be for his return. We're going to ask, what will the new creation be like? And then crucially, who will be there? What will it be like? And who will be there? First, what will the new creation be like? Um, As I wrote part of this sermon, I was in Marlow on Thursday. And I was sat in a cafe. It was a very trendy cafe. It was a juice bar. Um, And I was having a flat white because that's what you have to have in trendy coffee shops. And as I, as I was sitting here thinking about this sermon, the, the smell from the coffee wafted into my nostrils. And if you like the smell of coffee, there's, you know, great smell. Even people that don't like drinking coffee often like the smell of coffee. And to the right of me in this coffee shop was one of those kind of posh display cabinets that they have where you can have a square of brownie for eight pounds, 95. <laughs> and in, the, in this cabinet was every delicious thing. There was something, There nut banana loaf, which looked nice. There was lemon drizzle cake, which I'm always partial to. Um, there was cherry Bakewell cake, tray bake thing. And then there were these bagels, which I ended up succumbing to, um, which were kind of freshly prepared. And I just had a salmon and cream cheese bagel, but it was nice. I share all that, and also there was the smell of burnt cheese, which is another one of my favorite, with a sandwich maker, a bit of cheese burnt cheese, coffee. I share all that with you because I love the smell and tastes of food. Now look at Revelation 21 verse 1 where it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The future reality that Jesus will bring in is physical. It's a new heaven and a new earth. And notice verse 2 where it goes on. It says, It is It is heaven coming down to earth. Coming down out of heaven. Not Christian souls flying away off to heaven, but heaven coming to earth. It is the invisible and the visible being united and made new. That is the future reality. It's physical. And I love that because I love those sights and smells and feelings and touches and tastes of creation. It's wonderful. And that is very much a part of this future. It is physical. And I hope that encourages you. But it gets even better because you don't need me to tell you that this physical world is broken. Stuff has gone seriously wrong in the very fabric of life. Um, Much of our time in this life is spent distracting ourselves from the looming kind of shadow of physical illness and death. And if we're not kind of distracting ourselves from those things, often we're fighting them head on. Life now can be scary. Relationships break down. Leaders that we trusted fail. Nations are greedy and fight with each other. Countries go to war. It's what Francis Spufford, a journalist and author, calls the human propensity to muck things up. Except he uses another term, uh, a more fruity term. And we are the most, mostly in this world, we're the authors of our own problems or we're the victims of someone else's problems and mistakes. And so the brilliance of this world, with all its physical loveliness, is broken. It's under shadow. It's off key. So notice verse 21 and verse 1. Where it continues, there was no longer any sea in this new creation. There was no longer any sea, and that sea—that's like that's like Bible code for powers opposed to God. So that the sea is chaos, God is order. The sea is evil forces, God is good. That's what it is throughout the Bible. And here it says in this new creation, there was no longer any sea. There is no longer any evil opposed to God. And 22 verses two and three. Um, Amazing picture of the new creation on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit and the leaves of the tree are For the healing of the nations no longer will there be any curse So that means in this new creation life not death will reign nations will be healed not warring why? Because the curse has gone the curse of sin and death will be gone So in this new creation there will be no possibility of sin of the human propensity to muck things up which we know all too well it will be gone once and for all so it's physical it's free from sin and amazingly consequently because of that it is free from suffering if you are suffering right now listen carefully to this and be encouraged because I think this One truth is really probably ultimately what will see you through this life and through this phase you're in at the moment. Look at verse 4. I don't know if there are any better words in the Bible. Verse 4. This is the new creation. God will be with us. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Um, I said that on Thursday I was in Marlow, I was in Marlow because I was um, sadly attending a funeral of a former teacher of mine and a family friend, and he had died suddenly and prematurely, he couldn't find peace in his mind. And the church that day was thick with grief, tears were flowing. And if you've lost a loved one, particularly recently, you will know just how his devastated family were feeling death, mourning, tears, pain. Our world is consumed by it. And some of you will know that right now. What this verse tells us, verse 4, is that will not be so in the new creation. Not so. In the new creation the new creation will be physical it will be free from sin and it will be free from suffering final thing about the new creation if you want more final thing is that it will be the fulfilling of our relational longings Um, The people of God, did you notice how the people of God are described in chapter 21 and verse 2? It says, the people of God, the holy city, will come down as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband, a bride on her wedding day. And throughout Revelation, there's a repeated refrain of, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb, of Jesus. 19 verse 9 has that invitation, that wonderful blessing of the wedding supper. Why, why am I bringing your attention to that? Well, because it suggests that the one good picture of the new creation is of a, of a wedding celebration. And that picks up the whole biblical theme that all earthly relationships, and none more so than marriage, they are a shadow or a foretaste of the relational connection that will be ours in the new creation. So marriage now is designed to look like this relational connection between God and His people. It's pointing forward to this new creation. So let me talk to you. I think this will include everyone. You might be these these states or a mixture of all of them. No, that's not possible. Anyway, you might be happily married. You might be unhappily married. You might be happily single. You might be divorced. You might be unhappily single. You might be a real social networker with hundreds of great friends. You might be someone who feels they have no real friends. All of those things are possible, and perhaps you've experienced different parts of those in your life. In the new creation, all those desires that we have, and they're very deep desires, those desires that we have for connection, whether marital or otherwise, will be met in God. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. So that need and longing that we have now will be met in God, will be fulfilled in the new creation. It's that idea of we will be known, we will know, and we will be fully known, which ultimately is what we want and need. We'll be fully known. And that, of course, is actually the very heart of the new creation. All those blessings of of no sickness and suffering, that's great, but actually at its heart is knowing God and seeing him and being seen by him. So perhaps you hold deep relational pain. Um, many, people, many of us do. Or huge disappointment from relationships which have gone wrong. That will be gone in the new creation. Or maybe you enjoy amazing relationships now. And actually your family relationships or friends are, are everything to you now. Well, as great as they are, those will pale into insignificance compared with the joy of the new creation. So, the new creation, I hope I've convinced you, is worth, you know, it's worth getting involved in. Um, it's physical, it's free from sin, it's free from suffering, and it's the fulfillment of our deep relational longings. That's what it will be like. Before I finish, briefly, let me just look at the second question. And it's a huge question. Which is simply, who will be there? Because if you noticed, our passage touched on that as well. Who will be there? And Revelation, I think, gives a very straightforward answer to that question. There are two phrases which Revelation uses, and we get one of them in our passage we read. And if you like, they're kind of two ends of the same sentence. And verse 7 has one of them, of 21. Verse 7 of 21. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. Those who are victorious, or some translations have, the one who overcomes. That's the way Revelation talks about Christians who persevere, who keep going, despite suffering, despite the temptation to kind of cave into pressure from the world. To the one who overcomes, that person will inherit all this. And at that point we think, whoa. does that mean it depends on me? Because I'm not sure I'd back myself here. Um, what if I give up? What if, what if I'm not good enough for this? Is that what it's saying? Um, Well, if that's what you're thinking, the other phrase, which is used several times throughout Revelation and comes just before our reading in 21, or in another bit of the reading, 21 verse 27, you see it there, is the phrase, those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will receive these things. That is, those who have been saved by Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, the Lamb who was slain, So it's saying the ones who have placed their lives in his hands. The ones who have received that forgiveness from Jesus, the lamb who was slain. So to overcome is to place or keep placing your life in his hands. Trusting him. No matter what else is going on in life. It's his work. It's not ours. But it does involve keeping going with him. So that's who will be there. Can you you see, um, that? and I think this is quite important for us to grasp, and it may be particularly important if you're someone who's visiting or maybe not a Christian yet, please hear this really clearly. The distinction between those who will be there and those who won't is not that those who will be in the new creation are better. So we read those lists which may have made you feel a bit queasy. Those two lists we had in those readings, you're a bit like, whoa. This doesn't seem very okay to say, where, you know, 21 verse 8, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the idolaters, etc. Those lists we had twice. We're not meant to read that as Christians and think, aha, I knew I was better than those lot. That's, that's why I'm going to be there. That is not the point. The point is that this list, that, 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 that description is humanity without Jesus. It's humanity, with the human propensity to muck things up, not dealt with. Those whose names are in the Lamb's book of life are no better than those who are not. The only difference is Jesus. It is the Lamb who was slain for their sin. And this is difficult stuff to look at, I think. Really difficult. Um, But 21 verse 8, we're told that their future is starkly different. Those who are not in the Lamb's Book of Life. 21 verse 8. Sounds like we're back in the middle, middle Ages, doesn't it? We're told they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That is not a literal description. It's pictorial language. However, it speaks of the idea that they will face the judgment of God without the blood of Jesus. And therefore, they will not enter the new creation. It is a picture of permanent physical and spiritual death. It's very tempting, and I nearly did. It's tempting to skip over those bits when you get, when you preach on a passage like this. But I think to do so would be actually to diminish Jesus. And it's also good occasionally to be reminded that this is serious, that it matters whose side we're on. And did you see there's some lovely invitations? to those who want the free gift of life, that flowing water, come to Jesus. The invitation is there and it stands open for us today if we've not yet received it. So back to our question about longing. We are shaped most by what we long for most. And my hope is that we will be shaped by a longing for the return of Jesus and for the new creation. So as I finish, can I say to us in a very prosaic way, our life, your life, is not about a new house, it's not about some new cushions it's not about some new cheap clothes that you've been scammed on it's not about your promotion it's not, a, it's not really even about those massively significant relationships and if it is about those, it's only about those in as much as they point us to the relationship which matters but actually when we set our heart and our longing on the return of Jesus that is when we're freed from the things which consume us, the f- freed from the opinions of others. We're freed from the fear of sickness and of death. And that is when we begin to find a measure of rest in this life, whatever the circumstances hold. So as we end, I'm going to read the words of an old hymn, which we're actually going to sing. And I, it, it doesn't necessarily fit with our contemporary kind of vibe in this service, but the words are really great. So I'm grateful to Kevin for um, agreeing to sing it. Um, Let me just read this as a prayer. I'll say it slowly and you might want to kind of pray it through in your own hearts and minds as we finish. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. So come thou long-expected Jesus.